And as you are, you can turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 7 as we continue our series on the goodness of our God. For our younger, younger worshipers, there are uh, red folders in the back. You can grab one, especially if it has your name on it. But even if it doesn't, just grab one that doesn't belong to someone else. And those are simply to help you follow along to understand what can sometimes be missed by the ear can be caught by the eye. For the rest of us, you're stuck, you're stuck with just my voice. Sorry. Zechariah chapter 7, as we look at the heart of obedience, hear now God's word for his people. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Kislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sherazar and Regamelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her in the south and the lowland were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor, and let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirits through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus, the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. This is the word of the Lord. To help prepare our hearts for what we're about to hear, uh, allow me to tell you a story about an architecture, an architect and the architectural design that he made. There's a, there's a sort of legendary story that is told among architectural schools. And it's the story of this architect who built a library. But to call it a library is, I mean, it's to, it's to call the Empire State Building a building. I mean, it was magnificent. The outside of it had woodworking details like you would not believe. The inside had this beautiful marble, stained glass windows. Oh, it was beautiful. From a layout design, it had lots of quiet spaces for all the introverts to read and not be bothered by other people. Yay, I can relate. 
It was beautiful. But they later found out it had one major flaw. Because year after year, this building would sink into, a gr- into the ground almost an inch every year. You see, in designing this beautiful library, this architect was concerned with one thing and one thing only, the form, the beauty and the look of the building rather than the function. He forgot that the function of a library is to hold books, and he forgot to account for the weight of the books in designing his building. So year after year, this beautiful, elaborate, masterpiece of a building was of no use to anybody. In designing a library, he made its form beautiful while neglecting the very function it was meant to do. I hope I hardly need to spell it out, but Christians, we can be so concerned with the form of our worship and obedience that we neglect its function. We can, we can be so concerned with getting our lives and our behavior to look a certain way that we forget the point of those things. So today we're going to look at what is at the heart of obedience, and we'll see that partial obedience, number one, can deceive us. Number two, we'll see that full obedience will disrupt us. And lastly, we'll see that faithful obedience must develop a soft heart. Partial obedience can deceive us. Full obedience will disrupt us. Faithful obedience must develop a soft heart. In order to see how, fa- how partial obedience can deceive us, to see how the Lord was not pleased with the Israelites, we have to understand not just fasting and what it is, but the form and the function of fasting. The Israelites have spent many years in Babylonian captivity, which you can read in, in books like Jeremiah. And during that time, their temple was destroyed during the fifth month, which is why in verse 3 you get this question. Should I abstain and weep in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? When the temple was destroyed, this was obviously a sad thing, but what the Israelites did was institute a fast to commemorate this great tragedy. But why would they fast in response to a tragedy? Because fasting had a function. Sometimes it was to seek the will of God. Sometimes it was to draw closer to God. And sometimes, like in 1 Samuel chapter 7, it was to show repentance. They gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted on that day and said, We have sinned against the Lord. They confess their sin as a sign of repentance. Fasting was meant to elicit and evoke and show repentance. You have to keep that in mind. Otherwise, none of the the rest of this is going to make sense. So if you've tuned out everything I've said so far, fasting equals repentance. Keep that in mind. The temple was destroyed because of the Israelites' sin. And it was destroyed for a purpose to elicit, to wake them up, to stir them to obedience. 
So the problem wasn't their fasting and how they were doing it. The problem was that they were doing the action of fasting, but by their other actions, they were demonstrating that they lacked the heart of repentance. They had the form. Tears were coming from their eyes. Food was not going in their bellies. They had the form, but not the function. That's why we read in verses 5 and 6, the Lord says, when you fasted and lamented in the fifth month and seven and seventh months for these 70 years, was it for me? It's not just fasting, it's how you do it. Was it for me that you fasted? No. And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? In Zechariah, God is pointing out how partial obedience can deceive us into thinking that we are doing the right thing, even though by our other actions, we demonstrate that our hearts haven't always changed. We can participate in the form of worship, all the while missing its function. Imagine a baseball player, right? A baseball player who struggles with his swing. Shouldn't be hard for most of us to imagine. So his coaches, his coaches tell him all the things he has to adjust in his swing to improve the look of his swing. Right? It's got to be smoother. It's got to be connected. Keep your weight back. Lead with all the things that he has to do to improve his swing. So during the off season, like a good little baseball player, he practices and practices and practices. He even invites his friends to pitch him a ball so he can get used to the speed and the flow and the rhythm. So here comes a new season to show off his brand new swing. And during the first game of the season, he executes flawless swing after flawless swing. You've never seen a swing more beautiful. And so he goes to the bench, just thrilled to hear the coach's feedback, but the coaches are still upset. Why? He didn't hit a single ball. He's got this beautiful swing. It looks perfect. There's nothing to change about it, except he didn't hit the ball. That's the whole point of a swing. It doesn't matter how beautiful it is if you're missing out on the very function of a swing. From one perspective, the Israelites were executing God's commands perfectly, beautifully. You've never seen someone observe the Sabbath so diligently. You've never seen someone tithing even their spices. And yet, they were missing out on the most important part, the most crucial component of their fasting, the fruits of repentance that come, that are supposed to come with fasting. So Christian, by the grace of God, we humbly have to ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the ways in which we can be deceived by our partial obedience. Because we can be part of Bible study after Bible study and community groups. We can even go to morning and evening worship. And yet, we can still go yell at our neighbor or the driver on the road who's not driving exactly the way I want them to. We can sing about the mercy and grace of our God and yet hold grudges and gossip all throughout the week. 
we can give our money to the church and other good causes and still covet and lack true generosity. We can participate in all the forms of religious practice and holiness and righteousness and miss their function. That's the deceptiveness of partial obedience. So what's our hope? Well, there are two aspects of the gospel that we need to hear. One is from our very passage in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 12. This is the good news of the gospel. Through their own self-deception and partial obedience, they made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the words, hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his prophets, by his spirit, through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. We can deceive ourselves, but not the Lord. Great anger comes from our God. Wait, pastor, I thought you said that was the good news. It is. It is because we can deceive ourselves, but God is not deceived. And like a good father and a good mother would point out to their children when they are doing things that are not good, when they are doing things that actually bring harm to them, they correct, they instruct, they discipline. Whether the children like it, whether the children agree with it, that's what a good father, a good mother does. But the good news of the gospel doesn't stop with a fair warning. The good news of the gospel also includes not just that God sent his prophets to warn us, but that he sent the ultimate prophet. We are told in Zechariah that he sent prophet after prophet after prophet to remind, to put into new words, to stir the heart. But in the end, as Hebrews tells us, all those prophets pointed to the one. Jesus is the prophet who didn't just proclaim God's word, but fulfilled it, accomplished it, did all the things that we are not capable of doing. And because he did, he was able to pay the debt, pay the price, pay the consequences that our partial obedience deserves. And that is death. As you'll see on the slides in just a moment, as we just sang, this is why we were able to sing, let us, these words that are now on your screen, let us love the Lord who bought us. He bought us. He paid the price. He pitied us when we were enemies. He called us by his grace. And yes, he taught us. He told us what we were supposed to do. But more than that, he actually gave us the ears. He gave us the eyes to do what we could never do on our own. In Christ, we not only have forgiveness of sins, which is crucial, we have new eyes, we have new ears, so that we are able to be deceived no longer by partial obedience. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen. But the solution to our partial obedience is not just more obedience. It's not just trying harder. It's not just figuring out where we went wrong and trying to correct it. Because as we'll see in a moment, even our full obedience will disrupt us. All this talk of, of partial obedience, and we might wonder what full obedience looks like in God's eyes. God himself tells us in verses 9 and 10. He says, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil 
against one another in your heart. As we said earlier, the fasting that the Israelites did was not done for the sake of fasting. It had a purpose. It was done with the purpose of demonstrating and eliciting repentance. They had the form, but not the function. How do we know they didn't have the function? Because a real apple tree makes apples. True repentance bears the fruits of true repentance. What does that fruit look like? As you're reminded uh, from this pulpit often, these lists in Scripture are not meant to be exhaustive. These are not the only things that we do. But there's a point in Zechariah's list. And if you look at it again, you'll see that this is a concern not just for others, but for the most vulnerable in our society, the poor, the orphan, the widow, those who had no voice, those who could not defend themselves. That's why James, when he says that we must be doers of the word and not just hearers only, he points to the most vulnerable in our society. Because religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And, keep that word and in mind, because it'll come in handy in just a moment. And, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Christian, this is not comfortable. One of the most prevalent effects of our sin is that it turns us inward. It has us focusing on what we do, what we don't do. What I spend my money on, what I don't spend my money on. It's an easy temptation to fall into. It's easy to be deceived by it. That's why Jesus tells his first and future disciples what following him entails, especially in places like Mark chapter 8. In verse 34, Jesus called the crowd with the disciples and he said to them, this is what true religion is. This is what following me looks like. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Translation, full obedience will disrupt you. It is not easy. It is not comfortable. You can't keep just doing what you're doing, but doing it more. You can't just keep doing what you're doing, but trying to do it better, making slight adjustments. No, it is taking up your cross and denying yourself. The partial obedience of showing up on Sunday morning and singing and putting money in the plate is good. Don't hear me saying anything otherwise. And yet it must also be paired with mercy, with justice, with faithfulness, with concern and care for the most vulnerable in our society. Selfless, sacrificial love to those who have no means, no way to pay you back in any way, shape, or form. Because while reading your Bible, giving your money, praying, going to seminary, writing sermons, while those are all good things, they're relatively easy compared to what Christ actually calls us to. It's not that hard to wake up and open up my Bible. I mean, it's even on my phone these days. It's not hard to pray while I'm driving on my way to work. So wait, pastor, which one should I focus on? 
Should I focus on reading my Bible and praying and giving, or should I focus on loving others and defending the poor and the weak? It's been a while since I've uh, brushed off one of my um, favorite phrases, so here it goes. You can say it with me if you know what's coming, right? That is a false dichotomy. It's not, should I do this or do this? It's, how do I do both? Faithfully. How do I make sure that the form actually serves the function? That's like asking, which one should I focus on, my diet or my exercise? Let's call diet our more comfortable religious activities, like attending worship, reading our Bibles, praying, giving money. And let's call exercising, for the sake of this analogy, let's call exercise the living out of those things, like showing kindness and mercy to the most vulnerable in our society. There's a saying in the fitness world, any trainer worth their salt will either say this in some way, shape, or form. You can't out-train your diet. Once, once the metabolism of your teenage years slows down, as it inevitably does, you can't just keep eating whatever you want and expect that you can just work it off later. It doesn't work that way. You can't out-train your diet. So in this analogy, you can't do enough good deeds to make up for disobeying God's commands to meditate on Scripture, to observe a Sabbath, to give generously, to pray without ceasing. You can't do enough mercy and justice to make up for those. You can't out-train a bad diet. But likewise, if all you have is a great diet, but you're not active, you're not doing some kind of exercise, then what's the point? What's the point of fueling up your body if you're not going to use it? That's like getting an oil change for your car and filling it up with gas and never driving it. What's the point? The whole point of studying and learning and improving is to then put those things into practice, Christian. But conversely, you can't just practice, 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 because practice does not make perfect. Practice makes consistent. We need to refuel, to learn, and to obey. Look how Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 23. He says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you do one thing but not the other. You tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And do you remember how Jesus responds? He says in the next verse, here it is, these you ought to have done neglecting the others. You remember when he said that? Do you remember when Jesus said, hey, stop observing the Sabbath, stop tithing, stop reading the law, because that's part of the Old Testament. We don't do that anymore. Now we just concern ourselves with loving the poor and doing... Do you remember when Jesus said that? Thank you for shaking your heads. No, good job. You passed the test. Because here's the actual next verse. Here's what he actually says in Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, not because you have done this, because you have done these and neglected the weightier matters. Keep tithing. Keep obeying, keep living lives of holiness, but don't do so neglecting the others. You ought to do all these things without neglecting 
the others. Whatever your comfort zone, and you do have a comfort zone, whether you tend more towards the form or the function, full obedience to the Lord of hosts will disrupt that. But the good news of the gospel is that when Jesus commanded his disciples to take up their cross, he followed it. Do you remember what he said? He said, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Because Jesus himself took up his cross. And as you've heard from this pulpit so many times, Jesus went to the cross to forgive our sins, to pay the debt for our sins. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Remember that. Say it over and over and over. And he also went to the cross to give us new life, to make us sons and daughters. And with that new identity as sons and daughters of the king, to actually make us able to obey or as we confessed from 2 Peter chapter 1 earlier, his divine power has granted to us some of the things that pertain to life and godliness. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I have a hard time reading. That's right. It's all. All the things. You can ask yourself the rhetorical question. What am I lacking in Christ to do all the things that he commanded me? Answer, nothing. He has given you, through his divine power, not your own, all the things that pertain to life, to life and godliness. And so, he continues, so, does that neglect effort? No, we should make every effort to supplement our faith. Not with convenient, comfortable obedience, but with full, disruptive to our schedules and our budget and our preferences, obedience. Full obedience, not because it will earn you any more of God's love, but in order, as Peter said, to confirm your calling and election and to do what you were created to do from the beginning of the world. Amen, Christian. Now, how do we do this? Well, much more briefly. That's the heart of obedience. Partial obedience can deceive us. So the great prophet, the ultimate prophet, Jesus Christ, has given us new ears and new eyes. And so we recognize that the full obedience he commands is going to disrupt us. It has to. Just as he disrupted our lives, he disrupted our status as enemies to make us children. But we also realize that faithful obedience must develop a soft heart. Where am I getting that? Well, if you look at verses 11 and 12, you can see as you glance at it, you can see the active responsibility of our forefathers in response to God's word. It doesn't say that they didn't know better. It doesn't say that they lacked information. It doesn't say that they needed a better Bible study leader or a better commentary. It says that they actively refused to pay attention. They turned a stubborn shoulder. They stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent. Christian, you've heard a lot about obedience today. But what I hope you've also heard is the hopelessness of putting your confidence in your obedience. 
Because even when we're trying to obey, even when we're at our best, partial obedience can deceive us. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're doing a really good job when we're really not. And even when we are fully obeying, it's going to completely disrupt the comfortable lives that we've set up for ourselves. But just as the Israelites hardened their hearts, Scripture speaks of the heart and making it diamond hard because the obedience God commands, the obedience that is in our best interest and leads to true happiness is a heart issue. If we actually want to faithfully obey, we must develop a soft heart. Some of you actually in this room uh, know that my garage door recently stopped working. Um, so I tried everything I knew to do, which took a total of 10 minutes maybe. Uh, and then I called some older and wiser men. And after like 30, 45 minutes, it was still broken. So finally I just gave up and called the company. And they sent out someone and in like 20 minutes, the thing was fixed completely. Uh, now, I was glad to find out that there was nothing I could have done to fix this garage. There's nothing I could have done because the malfunction wasn't an external mechanical thing. It wasn't like I could have tightened the chain or just lubricated some of the joints. It was a circuit board that was completely fried. And so the repairman came, took out the old circuit board, put in the brand new one, worked like a charm. So no amount of my adjusting or tightening or loosening or lubricating would have done the trick. Because the thing that my garage door needed was a complete new circuit board. I'm seeing light bulbs click. This is good. This is good. So let, let's get it right, Christian. Obedience is a response to gratitude. It is the response to the joy of our salvation through Jesus Christ. And if we simply try to obey harder and better, it's like trying to fix that garage. You can spray lubricant. You can push all the buttons. Trust me, I did. You can go online and try to find out how to fix it. You can make sure the chain isn't stuck. All of those are good things that you should do when trying to fix your garage. But unless the circuit board gets replaced, none of those other things matter. So we can read our Bibles more. I hope you do. We can pray more and more fervently and more biblically. I hope you do. We can give more. We can spend more time. We can volunteer our gifts and our money and our time. But none of those things gets at the heart of obedience, the heart that God himself promised to give us. It's been a really long time since we've gone to Ezekiel 36. I could have gone there, but to give us a break from Ezekiel 36, I wanted to go somewhere completely different. So here's Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. It says this, I says God. Please focus on that. I, I will give. Not you will have, not you're going to acquire. I will give my people one heart 
and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the old circuit board, I mean heart of stone, from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. I will remove the diamond hard, stony heart and I will give them a squishy, soft heart of flesh for a purpose that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. The heart that says, no, I just want to spend my time on me. You know what? I really need new clothes. I need whatever it is. God removes that heart. God puts in a new heart that says, I probably don't need this. I can probably put this to better use. Not so that we will feel guilty as we've gone through in Sunday school, but so that we would actually do the things that show the heart of gratitude, show the proper response to the gospel and all we've been given in Christ. I hope what you see from this, from this passage, from Zechariah and Ezekiel, is that God gives us the very things we need to obey. God gives us the very heart that we need to do all the things that he's commanded us to do. How great is his goodness. Amen? Trying to obey first, even partially, without having our hearts changed, is like trying to operate that garage without a new circuit board. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus gives us everything, we, God gives us everything we need in Jesus. And so we can leave this place not worried about earning God's love through obedience. We can leave this place confident that he has loved us enough to send his son to die for our disobedience and to give us his own spirit for full obedience. That is the heart of obedience. And so let us go to him in that spirit. Dear God, thank you for the good news of the gospel that we must rehearse over and over and over and over again. For the youngest of listeners, help us uh, to see the beauty of the gospel, maybe even for the first time. Help us to see the, the power of the gospel, the, the, the dignity of what you have called us to. And for those who have heard this gospel again and again, time and again, Help us to hear it anew. Help it to, to land differently. Stir our hearts maybe in ways that they have not been stirred before. And help us to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit for all that we do and say and are. And we pray this in Christ through his Spirit. Amen.